13, Molly, is the lucky number. You get a goal. You get a goal. The Oprah gift was brought out over the weekend and back-to-back nights where the Rangers just couldn't stop scoring. They couldn't stop shutting teams out. But all good things come to an end. The Carolina Hurricanes and their 100 points, second best in the Eastern Conference, came and rained on the Rangers parade Tuesday. Look, yeah, it might have been a little rain on their parade, but I mean, you got to love what you saw over the weekend. Back-to-back shutouts. Got to love what you saw from Halak and Shesterkin and just the way they were able to beat down on the teams that they were supposed to beat down. So I think that they're... The Rangers should be able to hang their hat on that weekend and fans should feel comfortable knowing that the Rangers are capable of doing that and they have now shown that they're capable of doing that. Um, So I'm very excited to see Thursday in Carolina. I think that the Rangers, if they're able to win that one, it will be a very encouraging sign going forward into the playoffs. So we'll see. It would be a heck of a playoff series if it happens. It was last year. We would expect the same this year. The final stretch, 11 games, Larry Brooks joins us. And it's Larry and Dave. How about that? Dave Maloney from MSG Network, one of our favorites, will join us. Lots to do. It's coming up next on Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post. Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to Center Ice for a special presentation. Welcome back to Up in the Blue Seats, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Jake Brown here alongside Rangers beat writer for the New York Post, Molly Walker. We'll chat with Guinness Book World Record holder, most appearances in the podcast history, Dave Maloney, the great from MSG Network and a former Ranger captain a bit later. And Larry Brooks, our Hall of Famer, is with us now to start the show and we'll join on Dave Maloney interview as well. Larry, um, the Rangers over the weekend could not stop scoring. And that uh, took a pause on Tuesday night and the Hurricanes showed them a case of reality. What happened Tuesday night? Are you worried that this team uh, can't beat the Hurricanes? No, <laughs> they had a bad game on Tuesday night. You know, they, they played 120 minutes without opposition, really. But I should say, too, that, that on Saturday night, they they forced the Penguins into submission. It's not as if they were playing a terrible team on Saturday night the way they were on Sunday, you know, I mean, Nashville is just a decimated team. It was, it was kind of a, you know, a glorified AHL team. So, and, and the goalie didn't make the save, you know, Sunday was a, a, a different game, but it's not as if the Penguins, you know, were fodder until the Rangers turned them into fodder on, on Saturday night. So, but it was not a very competitive weekend and they, they came off it. Um, they didn't practice on Monday, skated Tuesday morning and, it was just a blah effort from them. It was it was disappointing, you know, for for this night, for this game. Really, none of their big guys played especially well, except Shesterkin. You know, they didn't get much from Kane. They didn't get much from Panarin. They didn't get much from Zibanejad. You go down the line, they didn't get much from from Keandre Miller after his big game Sunday. He, you know, he had a pretty pretty uh, pedestrian one to be kind Tuesday, but it was a bad game. You know, and and Carolina played very well. Carolina, what I like about Carolina is they generally come to, you know, you you know what you're going to get from Carolina. Um, they're a little bit weakened, certainly with Svechnikov out for the year. Not only a little bit weakened, but severely weakened. Their their, you know, their their talent now probably doesn't match up. But they play hard every night, and and they're going to be in the Rangers' faces every night. Am I worried that they can't beat the 
Carolina if they get there in the playoffs? No. You know, they, they took them last year. They won the first two games of this season series. So it was a bad game. And I, I would be surprised if they don't come with a much more spirited uh, effort on Thursday in Raleigh. You know, whether that's going to be good enough to win, I don't know. But I'm sure there'll be a much more substantial team on Thursday. Full disclosure, I was not at the Tuesday Carolina game, but I was keeping up on Twitter.com and and probably the biggest thing that's <laughs> Twitter.com. Don't laugh at me, Larry. I would say, at least for me, one of the bright spots was probably Tyler Mott. No, and I feel like he's been a pretty big bright spot for them in the last few games. Three goals since he's got over here, right? Just contributing in ways that he wasn't able to last season during the regular season because he also got injured then. This time around, it was much less severe, only missed two games. But I I really, I love, I love his game and I love what he brings to that fourth line. Um, What did you see from Tyler Mott on Tuesday? Yeah, I thought, listen, I think their fourth line is, you know, has, has a chance to be a real impact line in the, in the playoffs there you know, they're not necessarily big, but they all play with an edge. Goodrow plays. He's a mean guy. <laughs> you know, Goodrow. VC plays with an edge. I mean, you know, that's when, you know, I, I've talked about this before. When he's at his best, he's 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 playing with an edge. He's in your face. And Tyler Mott is the same way. So they have three guys who can get under uh, the opposition skin. They, they generally just pitch the puck in and, and go after it. They make life difficult. And I thought really for the first, you know, 40, 45 minutes of last night's game, they might have been the team's best line. They had a defensive lapse. They were on for the for Carolina's first goal. Um, um, and, and things started to tumble downhill from there. Um, but I but I like that fourth line. It's it's a good fourth line. And I think when you have a fourth line, it'll, it allows the team to kind of to, to balance out the minutes a little bit more. I think that's important. You don't want to be heaping 22 minutes a night on Zibanejad at this point, or Panarin, or, or or Kane, who hasn't gotten you know to that to that level of ice time yet. But I, you know, I I, I like it if you know if your top line's getting 18, second line's getting around 17, 16. Sometimes the Trocheck's line is going to get as much as 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 Mika um and then you've got the kids and uh, uh the fourth line so uh, you know I like the rotation I like the way they play and Tyler Mott has been a more um impactful player in these you know first couple of weeks than I think he was last year when when he came I'm just wondering what team they're going to acquire him from yeah, next season <laughs> Who is he going to play the first? Who is he going to play the first sixty-five games with next year before he comes back? <laughs> Wasn't what? Didn't we talk about this? Isn't he the first player they've ever acquired at back-to-back trade deadlines? Yeah, he right. Is. Yeah. Is that is that the first player just in Rangers history, or is it like the entire NHL? No, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I wonder. I don't know about the NHL. They had a couple of guys like in the early seventies. They brought back a couple of times when they were. Trading with Detroit, and then like this, they had this defenseman named Larry uh, Brown, not very good. <laughs> he kept going back and forth between the Rangers and Detroit. So, um, but he wasn't he wasn't involved in deadline deals. And back then, really, there the deadline the deadline may as well not have existed. I mean, trades were made during the season, and there was no rush at the deadline to to bulk up your team. You know, it, it was there was not the mentality because, of course, there was no 
free agency. I mean, you, you know, you, you, you didn't have to deal with rentals. There was no, so you had your team and during the season, you tried to improve your team and, and maybe you did and maybe you didn't. And then maybe later in the year, you look to make a trade, but it was not, there was never a focus on, on the deadline. Well, we'll talk about the salary cap in a second, but let's talk about the kids first. They've cooled off a bit offensively, but what did Philip Heedle have to say the other night to you when Gallant gave them a little bit more ice time in the seven to nothing win over Nashville? I know you had a good conversation with him then. Philip talked about uh, the importance of having to prove that they deserve their ice time. And he said, you know, we want to prove that we belong on this team. And and he's he and I have had a couple of conversations about his excitement over the fact that they brought in uh, Tarasenko and Kane and these top, top players he refers to. And he talks about, this is what we want. We want to win the Stanley Cup. But he also doesn't want to get lost in the mix. And he doesn't want his line to get lost in the mix. And so Sunday night's game may have been an exercise for the final 40 minutes after, you know, after they, they take a 6 nothing lead. But it was more than an exercise for Heedle and, and Lafreniere and, and Kako. They, you know, they're they're competing for ice time now. They're competing for relevance. And and they haven't produced, you know, they haven't scored, but they've had a lot of good shifts. You know, they had many more good shifts than than bad shifts. They've they spend more time in the offensive zone than they do defending. They just haven't scored. And I and I, you know, one of the things that was lost last night was that Kako did score and he'd gone, I think, 10 straight without scoring. And this one, he, you know, he went to the net, was able, was able to score on a rebound. So um, there are, there are better things coming. I, I think, you know, remember a few weeks ago before the deadline, they were actually being used as the second line um, in, you know, for a stretch of games. And while, you know, kind of the Trocheck-Kreider unit was, was actually the third line for a while uh, being used that way, at least. So I think internal competition is always good. And it's good when when the, the players competing for ice time embrace it and recognize it and 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 aren't uh, don't think it's unfair. You know, they don't think they're being treated unfairly. They understand this is, you know, it's business and, and you've got to earn your time. And and I and I think that that Heedle, you know, Heedle's been around for he's he's 23. He's been on the team for five years. Um, he understands the dynamics of, of the National Hockey League. He understands the dynamics of the Rangers. Um, he's a, he's an intelligent, he's an intelligent player who wants to be great. And um, he understands the steps that are needed to be taken to get there. I feel like we've talked about this a lot. You got to really appreciate it and admire Philip Heedle's attitude toward it and the way that he carries himself in that sort of situation. And and you and I have talked about how sometimes when we hear him speak, it's like he could be the spokesperson for the team sometimes with the way he carries himself. And I guess I'm just, I'm looking, I'm looking way ahead now that we're just on the Philip Heedle topic, but I don't know, for some reason, I just, with the whole salary cap, crunch that's coming up for this team I'm just not sure if Filipino is going to make it through I feel like he has the most value um, on the team right now and that the Rangers jury might see that as you know that's his way to alleviate some of the of the struggles that they're going to have going forward how do you see it well I would say this that they have no depth down the middle yeah 
So if Heedle were to be a victim of the cap, who's playing? Who's coming? Plus, if one of their top two centers goes down with an injury, Heedle can always move up. You know, it's not that much of a stretch to to play Philip Heedle between Panarin and Tarasenko, right? Or or between Kreider and Kane. It's 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 not it's not a stretch at all. If Heedle's not on the team, and of course they, you know, if, if Heedle's not on the team, they're not acquiring a commensurate center. Who is their third line? Who is their third center? And I and I don't want to say third line center because you can envision the scenario in which Philip Heedle is their second line center next year and Trocek, you know, is is more of a hybrid checking, you know, unit guy who plays third and, you know, his penalty kill minutes. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't think, you know, next year is, is, is a long way away. But they probably can't pay Heedle accordingly. I mean, right? that is, you know. Yeah, I, that's that's what I'm thinking. I'm, I'm just not sure what that is, but you know, they they I, it's their weakest position in terms of depth on, on their in their organization. Um, I just can't imagine going through, and I understand the realities of the cap, and and you know, you raise a pertinent issue, and it's something that's going to be a challenge, but. Going through five years of development and and just nurturing him and you know and Philip you know he he's he's they've done it the right way with him I mean you know they have brought him along maybe a little bit slowly at times but you know they've always got their top six you know to you know unless they were to get like a big time you know defenseman in exchange for for Hedl. but even then. You know, it, it's it's not as if Brennan Offman is a center and they say, oh, okay, you know what? We think Brennan Offman's going to be able to, you know, fill that hole as a 19-year-old or 20-year-old next year. Or it's not as if Will Cooley is a center and they say, you know what? We can use Will Cooley as a checking center or not. So, you know, if, if they can't afford Heedle, then they've got a, uh, then they've got a, a, you know, a serious issue next year. Yeah. So, I mean, these are just the things that I'm, you know, stream of consciousness thinking, but moving on to the salary cap, you wrote an in-depth piece on the NHL's salary cap and how the upcoming increase might not be the best thing for the players. So in layman's terms, for those of us who have trouble understanding it, what would you say is the latest on that front? No, the, the cap is scheduled to go up a million dollars next year. And that's the way it seems that, that, that it's going to be set. It's going to, go up to 83.5 unless there's a negotiation between the league and the, and and the PA in which the cap would go up like three and a half to four million but in exchange the players will have to raise their escrow cap that's what Gary Bettman made very clear last week uh, when he was asked about it there's really no reason there's no reason for the league to ask for this except this is what the league always does and you know the league, negotiates hard every time they don't they're, they're you know they they like to call the, the players their partners but they don't collaborate with the players they negotiate with the players or against the players and um so if the players would agree to raise their escrow cap which is at six percent next year it would probably go to nine if you know with a three and a half or four million dollar increase um i i just don't see the the players doing that. I don't see, you know, the new, the incoming executive director, Marty Walsh. I don't see his, you know, his first order of business, giving something back to the league that the, the players bargained for 
during the extension in in 2020. It's just three years ago. So um, I think there's, you know, listen, it would be better for the league to have the $4 million increase. There's no question about it. You have at least half the teams in the league have been capped to stress all year. You have, I think, almost 15 teams needing to go into LTI in order in order to, to stay compliant. So, of course, it would be beneficial for the league as a whole simply to raise it by $4 million. The owners would get their money back the following season. No owner in the league is missing $3 million, please. It's like me missing. It's like me missing. You know, thirty dollars. You know, Molly, you owe me thirty dollars. But I, you know, it will. It, you know, it seems like it's going to be a one million dollar increase, and then the year after next, it'll go up like three and a half to four, four and a half million. So it'll be a little breathing room, but 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 there won't be any breathing room next season. Have you ever seen like in this trade deadline how many teams acted as a banker? I feel like that was going around that no one had seen that many transactions of that unfold before until this. Right. And, and that's a function of the, that's a function of half the teams in the league being up against the cap and, and not even, you know, to the point where teams couldn't even afford 50 percent of the of, of the cap of the, the players they were obtaining. Needed they, two teams to retain. They, salary. Right, they, had to, they had to whittle it down to 25 percent. So. Now that that just tells you the you know the state of distress um, that you know the the contending teams are in 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 the NHL and and you know I I've always you know, I'm not I've always believed that you know the cap is meant to punish successful teams successful teams you know carry the flagship for for the league but they don't want that that you know the NHL wants you know 32 500 teams. Sticking to dollar menu dinners across the NHL. McDoubles for everyone. Larry Brooks, NYP underscore Brooksy on Twitter. We'll not say goodbye because he'll join us in a minute for Dave Maloney next. Not something you see too often in the schedule. You face teams like back to back like that, but it could be a good thing for us to, you know, kind of get into that playoff mode. All right, we're backing up in the blue seats. Jake Brown, Molly Walker, Larry Brooks joining us for an interview with a guy who on Zoom is called Grandpa, but we call him Captain, (laughs) Ranger Legend, MSG Network Analyst, Dave Maloney, the most appearances on the show of all time. Dave, you weren't at the wine shop this morning. You were working out. What are you you getting buffed for us for TV? Yeah, yeah, it's not 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 quite that. But uh, no, the uh, yeah, the wine. um, Actually, I'm going to fill in for him when he goes on vacation for two weeks in July. But other than that, I'm. I'm free. So, um, so it's all good. Just another, another day in the life of La La Land here. So it's all good. Was this Zoom identifier from FaceTiming with your grandkids? Yes, it was. I actually, that's, you're right. I was on uh, FaceTime uh, with my uh, granddaughter, Ella. She'll be two April 3rd. And the boys haven't quite figured it out yet. My two grandsons are, uh, so it's, you know, you women, you're always smarter than us guys and stuff like that, I guess. <laughs> Got to have the right so identifier. Got to have the <laughs> yeah, right identifier. Right, right. All right. Well, moseying on into Rangers land. I feel like whenever we're just, you know, around the rink watching practice, just schmoozing, um, I feel like you've always had a lot of thoughts about the power play and where guys should be, what you, what, what you think their setup should be. So I'm just curious, wh- what would you say now that, uh, the two power plays have been kind of split up and balanced a bit with their new phases. What's what's your perfect alignment? Well, well, I, you know, they don't I, I think, first of all, I think Mika should be in the first rotation, you know, as somebody that's going to uh, 
you know, at least threaten with some sort of force off off the wings position, right? It's pretty crazy not, that he's not right now. And and he does have 19, 19 power play goals. And and um, you know, one unit looks like, you know, they're more inclined, would be inclined to at least give a shot a try. And the second unit looks like the Panarin unit looks like it, or the uh, um Kane unit looks like it'd like to kind of pass it to the back of the net. And Tarasenko's the other guy that can so you got Tarasenko and Mika on the same power play, and they're two guys that's right, right? They're on the same the two guys I think are more until last night, which they called the timeout in the third period and they switched the units. So what I'm curious at, you know, I'm, I'm going to, to uh, practice later. Um, cause they, they moved Kreider and Mika up to the unit with Panarin and Kane and, and Fox. So I'm just, I wonder, was, was this a one-time thing for this one game or are they remaking their power play units? Because I, I agree with you. I, 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 th- I think you, listen, they, they have a, and you know, riches of power play talent, but Mika Zibanejad needs to be on the first unit. Mika Zibanejad needs to be on for a minute 20. Um, you know, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sitting Zibanejad on the bench for, for a power play. Well, like, and you know, last night, you know, Carolina is a wonderfully coached and wonderfully executed defensive team. I mean, they took that, the middle of the ice away from them coming up ice, which doesn't really affect Mika until you get into the offensive zone. And uh, actually, they took a lot of this play away in the offensive zone also. So it'll be curious to see if what kind of adjustments can be made to that. But they just, you know, last night, they never had a sniff on the power play. But I think you've got to acknowledge Carolina as being a pretty good penalty killer. So maybe that switch up was trying to figure out how they could penetrate yeah, the maybe. defense of Carolina. Carolina. And again, what they do is when it gets, when Adam walks it up and slows it down, you know, they kind of clogged that middle and took all the middle away from anybody that was coming from behind. So, and then, you know, they're pretty aggressive in the defensive zone. That that is, that blue line is good. And they're a wonderfully coached defensive team. So, I think you have to kind of, and then you got a little bit spoiled playing, you know, teams that played since they played Boston who really don't defend as well as those two teams, but you're going to have to figure it out one way or the other. Right. I feel like, I feel like we've seen it a lot this season where teams are figuring out that pushing the Rangers to the perimeter is the easiest and simplest way to stifle any sort of their offensive Powered. Are you guys seeing the same thing? I feel like they've just been shoved to the outside and clogging up the middle is the easiest scouting report for any team that's trying to defend the Rangers power play. Well, I, I, I would certainly think so. And then what happens when you play against the better teams? You know, they have better players to execute. You know, they're just better teams for reasons. And that's why when you play against Boston or you play against Car- uh, Carolina, particularly the Islanders, who play a system and have players that are capable of, of playing that system that that requires good reads. It requires the getting to position and it requires all those things. There's no question that if you can take away the outside game in the offensive zone from the Rangers, you're going to have a better chance. And that's where, I don't know. What do you think, Larry? Well, I agree. But you know, it, it's, um, they also have a power play or, or the first unit or, or the first unit and a half if Adam stays out, you know, th- through, you know, through the switch. They don't really have a 
threat from the point. They don't have a shot, right? which is which is the dynamic changes when Truba comes on the ice for you know final 20, 35 seconds of a power play, and and you know Adams as as you know as as applies to so many people in so many situations. Adams' great strengths probably one of his weaknesses too. You know he just doesn't have a shot. Um, so teams don't really have to defend against the shot and then the rebound and then, you know, the chaos that, that ensues off the rebound. It's so, you know, it's, um, I think they're still figuring it out when, um, but I, but I, I, I don't think the units we've seen over the last week are going to be the units we see going to the playoffs because honestly, I, I cannot imagine them starting the playoffs with Savannah Jed, you know, on a one B unit. I, I just see that, and and, and to to a certain extent, to Kreider as well. Right. No. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I mean, Chris. Chris probably could have fifty five by now. I mean, look at his shooting percentage on the power play, and you know, shooting percentage for him on the power play just means you know, how many times he touches the puck, you know, and around the net. Right. Stopped. Right. And, you know, he's not shooting. He's deflecting. He's, he's redirecting. His shooting percentage on the power play was about forty percent. This year, it's about ten, and the ten seems to be more of an aberration than the forty. Um, so you know, there you know, when when you get away from Mika on the left and Chris in front, you're changing what they've done for the last three years. Right, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it's it's um, it's difficult to change. At this point in the season, they're trying to incorporate Tarasenko and Kane. Obviously, they want to make space for them. But you know, I, I I just I'm more comfortable with a power play that has Mika in the left circle and Kreider in front. Right, Kreider in front. Yeah, I mean that's uh, yeah. I mean that's uh, they are afforded the opportunity to experiment a little bit. But I mean, you know, the reality is the competition gets better postseason. The ability to defend gets better. You know, special teams will play the role they play. They're pretty important. Yeah. Their penalty kill has been terrific, though. Yeah. Well, no, hey, listen, no good. I, I, I think even last night, I thought they defended well, too. I, I, I mean. Well, they got lost again, a couple of times. Yeah, but you're going to get lost against that team. You know, so did, how did it cost? What, what did it ultimately cost you? Well, I mean, it was a bad, it was a bad turn by Keandre on the Chatfield goal. If he turns to the outside on that one, it's a fundamental defensive play. Turn to the outside. By the time he turns to the inside and turns around, Chatfield's by him. And then then it was a bad read on the other one when he chased the puck into the corner. You know, he's already there. So those, but in games when they're tight like that, that's going to be the difference is one little play, one little misread and things like that, which I think they've been much, much better defensively. And you're, you're going to be under pressure against Carolina. There's no question. Just that's, that's a given. And it's just a matter of can you, can you be in the right position and, and make the right decision because one wrong decision is probably going to cost you over the course of a series or a game. Sticking with the topic of Patrick Kane and, and Vladimir Tarasenko and their transition into the Rangers, Dave, I'm curious, with two players who have played their whole career with one team, you were kind of the same way with your career. You went and played for the Sabres in your last season in the NHL. What was the weirdest thing for you when you went to the Sabres or what sticks out to you? What do you remember the most about your transition that you had to acclimate to or figure out? 
Well, it's funny, Molly. I, I, I think the transition going from New York to Buffalo for me would have been a lot easier than anybody coming to New York because it is so uh, there's two things that stick out as you're uh, posing the question. The first is I would ask, how far is the rink? It's 10 minutes. How far is the practice rink? It's 10 minutes. How far is the airport? It's 10 minutes. You're like, is, is there any place that's further than 10 minutes away? <laughs> and, it, and it just, and, and then the second thing, believe it or not, was guys you played against, I thought were idiots. And you get to play with them and they're just the best guys ever, <laughs> you know, and we're all the same. So I, I, I think it's particularly, and listen, I'm, you know, particularly Patrick Kane and to a, a certain degree, also Tarasenko being a, a big stud in a market for one time and then coming here, you know, it's just, it's a lot tougher, you know, it's a lot tougher getting point A, point B game days, routines, uh, there's no question, you know, when, uh, you know, when you stand down by the Zamboni and the visiting teams come out, they are fired up to play the garden. It is a special place to play. Uh, but that being said, playing here, there are some, there are some fundamental issues that I think are, uh, aren't so congruent to, to, to being as smooth an operation as you think, or you've been accustomed to. So, I just think, and then let alone you throw in, particularly Patrick Kane. To me, he's a lot quieter guy than I ever assumed he was going to be. Right? I'm in agreement with that. I mean, he was asking me how I get to MSG and how I get to the practice center. I was cracking up. Like, Patrick Kane wants to know how I get to the ring. And I'm like, buddy, I take the subway. I take the queue to the garden. I I doubt you're going to be with the rest of us commoners on the queue taking to the garden. <laughs> That's like Ben Harper. I was talking to ben, ben Harper when he first got here. And it was one of those days where there was, you know, there was practice out in, in, in uh, Westchester. Got to get in. You, get, you have your meal. Then you get in. You sleep in the hotel. And you got to be kind of walked across to the building. And it's like... And he played in Nashville and, and he was like, it's just, it is different. And, you know, and again, it's good, bad, or you, you make it what it is. Uh, but I think the acclimation and then a little bit like the guys, I think the guys that were acquired last year could fit anywhere in the lineup. You know, you, you top could play up in the top six for Toronto could play up in the top six. Mott was who Mott was. Braun was who Braun was. Now you bring in, a couple of Lamborghinis where you've got to figure out how, how they, I how love they, that. <laughs> how they fit, how they're going to fit in, in the top six. And I think by and large, it's coming. I think Tara, Tara is a little further along than uh, I think than, and then Patrick is, uh, but it's, it's tough for those, those guys that have been Lamborghinis their whole life. And, and that you're coming in too, and there's some pretty good players in that top six. Mika is a world class player, and Chris is a world class winger in his in his, the way he plays. So all in all, I do think they're coming, but you know it'll be interesting to see tomorrow night in Carolina how they kind of okay. You got to look at them, and okay, now what do you do? I love that you mentioned um, you know how you came in and the play guys that you see guys that you've been playing against your whole career and you know you didn't like them had a preconceived notion about them and then you're like oh you've got i i i mean if any other writers are listening please don't steal my idea but i'm dying to interview kane and 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 vlad just about the two of them 
coming together on one. They were West Conference rivals for years, you know, these two big guns in, in the Western Conference. And suddenly they're in a different conference. In They find themselves in a different conference in New York, playing on Broadway, chasing a Stanley Cup. Like, did they ever think that their paths would cross here at this moment in time? I'm sure it's got to be, I'm sure there's got to be some fun stories there, some fun on ice antics and things like that. So I'm really hoping I, I get a chance to talk to them about that one. Yeah, no, it's uh listen, it's what I came to conclude is I'm sure there were pl- plenty of people that I was an idiot. And I, I hope, I hope once they got to know me, so listen, I was just trying to do what you got to do to play. Right. Right. Um, right. But that I think in by and large, I, I, I think most, most guys in the league are pretty good guys. who are just doing what they got to do to survive. So. That was the big thing. Like Lindy Ruff, guy like Lindy Ruff, who I, you know, again, he run around Larry Playfair and guys like that. And then you're, you're just, it was really neat to see that side. So here, of, here's the question. Who was the guy that you, like your entire perception of him changed once you walked into the locker room with him? It was actually, it might've been Shoney actually, because I played my first, uh, my first game ever in junior. I was 15 and he was 20. 19 or 20. And he was a big man at 20. I thought he was the biggest uh, uh, player I ever saw, <laughs> you know, when I was a kid. So and you get in and then you just, you know, and he was a hard player. He was an aggressive player. He was, a, and then you get in and you just, you know, there's an awful lot, a lot, a lot more going on there than just what you'd assume. So it might, it, it, it might've been Shoney actually. And then Lindy too. Lindy was just the greatest guy, you know, Aww. and then on the ice, he'd, he'd run you from behind or, you know, do whatever he had to do. So it's fun. It's fun. Did you ever play against Turk? Uh, no, I missed no. him by a year. Mm. Uh, missed him by a year or two. And then thank God, because he was in Detroit with, he was in Detroit with Probert and Koser and oh my God, thank God I missed that group. I feel like we gotta, we gotta get someone on here and talk about Turk. He was so tough. He was yeah. tough. You know? And that was an era where you had tough power wingers. And if you were a power winger, you were expected to score between 30 and 40. And you were expected to pick up between uh, 200, 250 pounds. <laughs> no, you were. You were expected to fight and you were expected to score. And, you know, you had, you know, the Shanahan's, the Graves. I mean, you can... You know, they're the, oh, know, the Cardi. That, that team. I mean, I mean, you know, you know, and Gallant was 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 one of, one of one of the premier um, power wingers in the league for maybe half decade. He was he was tough to handle, and you know, uh, it, it was just a different environment. But that's what you know, that's what was required if you were going to play. You were going to drop your gloves. Well, even even now, when he he puts that glare on, you're like, hey, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> Oh and man! Cut three still- like glass. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's true. I feel like we we got to get someone on here that's that's played against him, played with him, to really get some of those fun stories. Because I'm, because sh- you could tell that he was a he he is still uh, just a hard nosed guy, just in in the way he carries himself and the way that he presents himself. It's really really evident. I can only imagine what he was like on the ice. I just, <laughs> you know, I know he's, you know, he's got a good staff with him and the game's changed a lot since, you know, his, his parameters, uh, he still expects that honest um, effort and all those things that were a little simpler during those times. 
and the player is a lot more complicated or sophisticated since than in our era. That's a, that's a good transition into thinking about like, you know, that it's, it's kind of funny with, I feel like with, with coaches who are former players, you, you know, about what, what they were like as players, you know, how they approach the game. So when you see like a guy like Gerard Gallant trying to coach a guy like Vitaly Kravtsov, you could just tell the disconnect there that he just doesn't see what Vitaly doesn't see, you know, why it was probably difficult for everybody to be on the same page in that locker room when Vitaly was still a ranger. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's clear, but I give him, give him credit that he's, you know, he's found a way to adapt and to impart a lot of the simpler messages um, that maybe the younger guys now don't hear when they're going through their youth or junior or college. And it's still a man's league. It's still a league where you have to pay a price. Um, and all those things that for the longest time, like I say, it was a little bit simpler, not quite as complicated, but th that being said, I, I think it is a better game for all the things that are going on now, you know, you know, you're down and like last night I was down on the, on the sidelines again. And it, to me, it's like, like NASCAR with no lanes. Yeah. <laughs> There's just, it's at top speed and, and you're running into everybody. And it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's an amazing game up close. It really is. Dave Maloney, Rangers legend, Larry, I know you got to head to practice. Uh, grandpa, wine shop employee. And as Larry said on the podcast a few weeks ago, brings a wealth of knowledge to the broadcast. So we appreciate the knowledge and the wealth that you bring to us every time, Dave. Thanks. It's always a pleasure. And, and at the end of the day, uh, as Freddie uh, Shiro used to say, it's only hockey. So. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming It's always on, a pleasure. Man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, we'll see you guys in Carolina. And Jake, uh, we'll talk next time somewhere down the road, I'm sure, hopefully. Good atmosphere. Uh, two teams that don't, you know, like each other that much. So it's fun games to play. All right, Molly, that does it for episode 118 of Up in the Blue Seats, our Ranger podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Dave Maloney for joining us. Thanks to Larry Brooks and Dave combined. A little joint session. Love to see it. Thanks to Andrew Hartz and the intern Josh Crawford for helping me produce the show. Catch up on all episodes. Go to the New York Post Sports YouTube. Subscribe there. Give us a thumbs up. Comment below how you're feeling about the blue shirts and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts. Molly, you've interviewed a lot of cool people. Tuesday night for me at the Reggie screening. That'll be on Amazon Prime. Interviewing Reggie Jackson, Mr. October. When you have the nickname Mr. October and you have the nickname Dr. J, you're an icon automatically. Like the pod father doesn't go anywhere near those. But to interview those two in the same night was cool for me. I know my dad was proud. He, two of his favorite all-time athletes. So it was a cool night. But you've got to interview a lot of cool people. Have there been a couple of that realm that you pinch yourself? You're like, holy cow, I'm interviewing this person right now. I remember it was 20, was it still 2020 or 2021? What It was one of those years um, I was at the, oh gosh, what is it called? Um, it was a fundraising event, but I got to interview Mike Richter and, and that was that was pretty awesome. I got to interview him just about Igor Shosturkin and, and what he had seen from him um, in his brief time in the league. And that one was a really cool one, especially just because I've grown up hearing about Richter from my mom. Um, and that was also one for her that she was more so pinching herself than, than I was maybe, but definitely Mike Richter is probably up there for me for sure. 
Well, I will text Mike Richter today and we'll get him on the show hopefully in the coming weeks. All right, Mike Richter. That's a good one. I thought you, uh, any other sport? Is there any baseball? Because you did cover Oh, a baseball. yeah. I've done, yeah, I've done it That's all. That's what I was curious. I, I, outside hockey, I want to know. Outside hockey, um, I wasn't, I didn't actually interview her. I was just in the interview room, but Serena Williams, her last match, um, I covered it. I covered her last match. I covered her last doubles match with Venus. I count it just being in the room and listening to her in person, but easily that was probably one of the coolest things I've ever gotten to cover in my entire career. And for the rest of my life, I'll be able to say that I watched Serena Williams' last career match. And that's that's a big one. That's a big one. That's, that's the GOAT right there. So that is a good one. All right. Good stuff for Molly Walker, Larry Brooks, Dave Maloney, Andrew Hartz. I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back with another episode. Only a few more left in the regular season before playoff hockey is here. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Up in the Blue Seats. We'll talk to you next week.